0: Hi there. I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome to the Troxell Podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. This week, I speak with Eric Reinholdt, who's an architect, and you probably have heard of him via his YouTube channel. I'm looking at it right now, and he's at 624,000 subscribers. He runs a firm called 30x40 Design Workshop, which is the same name as he runs his YouTube channel under, and he's operating out of what I would consider a pretty remote location in the state of Maine in the U.S. I was recently speaking with an upcoming guest on the podcast, getting ready to record with him, and he was asking who some of the other guests were that were going to be on upcoming episodes, and I mentioned that Eric was one of them. And he got really excited, and he said, you have to ask him this one question for me. He said, I want to know if Eric has gotten any additional work from everything that he's done with his YouTube channel. And that answer is absolutely in this podcast. So I hope that you really tune in and see how a person like Eric can diversify their practice beyond doing architectural projects. This was a fantastic conversation. I walked away from this just grinning. I really feel like Eric and I have a lot in common. We've known each other for a few years now, and everything that Eric does, I pay really close attention to. I love the aesthetic, and I love the mood that he sets in a lot of his products, his videos, and everything that he does is just really nicely designed. And I think that if you click on the links in the show notes, you'll get a taste of what Eric's all about visually, as well as get to know him a little bit better during this episode. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Eric Reinholdt. Eric Reinholdt, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you.
1: Hey, man. Good to be here. It's good to see you again. Last time I saw you was, I think, face-to-face in New York City. Yeah, that's what while. I was
0: going to say. It was like on a pier at sunset. The lighting was just right. <laughs>
1: Drinks in hand, <laughs> drinks yeah. in hand. Yeah,
0: it, it's been a while. So, uh, so yeah, you didn't make it to Vegas last year for the AIA convention, right? You, you,
1: I did not. He, no,
0: yeah, good, good call. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it was fine. And um, let's see, since then, man, you've been like a machine making making YouTube videos, making feature length films, practically. Let's just call it that. Let's just go. <laughs> yeah,
1: to- <laughs> it feels like that.
0: <laughs> it feels like that. Yeah, the one man, yeah, uh, filmmaker and. I think that's probably what we could we could start talking about here because to me yeah. like, you're doing something different than most people are doing, and you inspired me that last time that we we got together. You you said like yeah you should start doing this, and I did. And I've I, like we just looked, and there's sixty something videos on my YouTube channel. And just that so people incredible. just so people know, like I would say most people listening to this do not know that I actually have a YouTube channel with lots of videos on it. So everybody should. Head over there and check it out, and then of course Eric's YouTube channel as well. So we'll put links to both of those in the show notes so that people can check them out. And I can always use more subscribers. Eric does not need any more subscribers. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> not true. Not true, man. <laughs> I'll take all I can get.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you, but if you like what you are what you hear here in this show, like that, you, you can get more of it, and you can get a visual background to go with it. And I think uh, it would be cool to see some familiar uh, listeners on youtube for those of you who do frequent the youtube that'd be great to see you guys over there so eric tell us about like this process that and 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 i think even more interesting is like how did you decide to go down this road with youtube and because as far as like technology and architecture go did anybody see youtube as a part of that equation
1: I think people are starting to actually, you know, given the current situation, realize that, you know, especially as online learning platforms are sort of exploding in this time, people yeah. are starting to recognize that YouTube, I mean, it's been there since, what, 2010? I mean, it's been there
0: a long, long time.
1: time. Yep. Um, and, you know, now it is a force that is becoming part of our own kids' education system. I may, My kids spend a lot more time on YouTube uh, than they do watching television. So that's certainly been a generational shift there. Um, but, you know, in terms of how it relates to the architectural field, I don't think people initially saw YouTube as being very viable, but I really approached it, you know, I got sort of pulled into it because I saw it as an opportunity to stand out and be a little bit different from what other people were doing. Right. Um, and primarily, I saw it as a means for marketing myself. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, where am I going to head? Um, that's actually more difficult. Like what, what work can I do that is more difficult, um, that has more friction to it, um, than what other people are doing? Because I figured I'm going to be competing with, I don't know, far fewer people if I head there yeah. than if I go the traditional route of sort of publishing or, you know, starting a blog that was fairly common when I was starting my business in 2013. But to be honest, I had no idea where it would go. And I've really treated everything in this business as an experiment. And so it was one of many experiments that I was running. And, you know, I really treated it initially as a way to make money, which is maybe all people approach YouTube in this way. Um, I approached it pretty naively thinking, uh, well, if I get a ton of subscribers, I'll make a ton of money from advertising revenue. And, you know, the fact is, yes, you can make a substantial amount of money from advertising revenue, but it's not where the bulk of the revenue can come from when you're running a YouTube channel. And I think, you know, as it applies to architecture firms, it's a way to, you know, you're finding this with your YouTube channel, I presume, is that it's a way to reach audiences that you didn't have a means of reaching totally. before. yeah. And it's a huge search engine, and it's just I, I'm incredibly blown away by the traffic that I get to my website and the, the inquiries that I get for my business, just given videos that are, you know, four or five years old, like things I threw up thinking, uh, oh, what's going to happen with this, you know? Um, and that's good and bad because, you know, when I first started the channel, the content I was making, I would consider to be garbage. And, and I've left up some of those videos just as a reminder of how far you can come. Oh yeah. <laughs> Put yeah. In,
0: yeah.
1: As you're putting in effort. <laughs> I mean, you'd, I'm I'm sure as you look back through your videos, you can see that, right? Totally,
0: and and the podcast from Arcaspeak as well, being eight years old. Oh man, like people yeah. say, I went back to episode one and started there, and it's like, oh man, I am so sorry. You should not do that to yourself, uh, but it is a good reminder. It really is like yeah. it's like these are marks in time. The internet doesn't forget. Even if you did take it down, somebody's got it, somebody downloaded it, they've got it on their hard drive somewhere, they could pull it back up and they could be like, but it, it is also kind of great to see how far things have progressed and how far you have progressed as a storyteller, a cinematographer, you know, with yeah. composition, with lighting, with color grading, with all of those things, you know, with your, the way that you edit, the way that you tell a story, the pacing, there's so many aspects to this that. In some ways, they are kind of architectural skills, but in some ways, they aren't, right? It is a different medium, but I think I think to me, that's what's so interesting about, especially the work that you're doing, is the way you choose to present and tell a story about whatever the topic is that you've decided to tackle, and that, to me, is a design problem in itself, and I think it, these are some of the m- more interesting design problems that can be tackled in a shorter amount of time than a typical architectural project, right? Right years. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. It's a
0: great creative outlet.
1: I, that's the best re- I mean I didn't start there, but I certainly came to this point. I mean, mm-hmm. in 2017 the channel had a pretty big shift because I actually hired somebody to help teach me about filmmaking. Like I spent a bunch of money that's and I made cool. this short film and I that's hired right, a story I that. writer a Story editor, and like so, all of these things started clicking, and that's the point where you know the, all these doors started opening. That I discovered color grading, and you know the value of narrative, a narrative arc in a piece, and you know then it's like studying shots and composition and lighting, and it's like it's never ending. And although I didn't start there, to me that is that has been such a richly rewarding thing. And and as you point out, you know making architecture it takes years, yeah. um, and I. I wanted something that was much more immediate and something that was tangible and also working as a solo um, operator, you know, there are a limited number of projects I'm going to do in my life. And I love doing houses. I love designing and working with people on an individual basis. Uh, But there's there's very little architecture I'm going to produce in the world. So, you know, when I found the YouTube channel as this creative outlet and I used it, started using it almost as a teaching tool. I sort of traded that portfolio of work Mm -hmm. for one of impact. And I, and I feel like that wasn't something I could have planned out in 2013 either. You know, I wasn't starting this with like this big vision of like, Oh, one day I'm going to have 600,000 subscribers or a million subscribers and I'll be making a ton of money and this will be a separate business. And I'll be teaching all these people. I really kind of discovered that along the way. And I think it's very similar to the design process, yeah. you know, we start off with an idea and we iterate on that idea and we find out what's working and what's not working and we continually are evolving and making it better. And I, that's really how I see this channel. As you said, it's like another creative outlet and, uh, and it's also a different lens to look at practice through, you know, I find when I'm working with clients and I'm filming our collaborations together, when I go back and edit the footage, and I'm trying to find the story in that footage, I learn different things about those clients. And so yeah. it just makes me wonder how this can be applied to, you know, other disciplines, other fields, and what is latent in this process that we're not seeing because we're not looking at it through a different lens. And I, I know you're a photographer and obviously a filmmaker sort of videographer, like, do you find those kinds of things too? Like looking through the lens of a camera, it's just a fundamentally different way of seeing the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, and, and, sometimes detrimental, right? Like, cause I'm, I'm usually traveling with the family or I've got other people with me and, and I'm lagging behind, right? Because I'm composing and, and yeah, like there's a, this, a friend of mine has a photo of me like in this really awkward position, kind of up against the glass of the world trade center, shooting this photo straight up. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because like it, there's this beautiful point of view, right? That most yeah. people maybe don't even experience or don't see or don't notice. And, and I love, like we, Cormac and I talked about this on the last speak. like we're taking people through experiencing architecture when when you can't, right? Because we can't right now. So, and how do we yeah. do that? We do that by telling stories, but we also do it through the photography and, and using photographs as kind of like this memory machine. And we talked about that on the show because I am so reliant on that. It's so hard for me to talk about it without having that, accessing that image to talk about it. Uh-huh. That is so important to me to have that stuff. And whether people see it or not, it's mine, right? It, I made it for me. Um, and if other people yeah. get something out of it, that's awesome. But it, it's it's funny because I do lag behind because I'm looking through the lens and I'm looking at the viewfinder and I'm looking at the screen on the back of the camera and I'm adjusting my settings and I'm getting the exposure just right and messing with all that stuff. So so on one level, I say it's detrimental because like I'm not in the moment- but I'm going to have that moment later too. So, so it's, it's a toss up. I mean, it is, there's a lot of back and forth in my own brain about that kind of stuff.
1: I agree. I mean, it, it is, it is funny, but, and I'm the same way, like in, with my family, I, I made a video about traveling like an architect not long ago on the channel and we were sitting in the airport and what do most people do sitting in the airport? They sit on the bench and kind of flick through their phone waiting for their flight. So right. I just grabbed the camera and wandered around and started like, It forces you to see the world Mm -hmm. as it is or, Mm -hmm. you know, as it's moving by you. And it just, yeah, I love that about it. And I think my family just has come to realize that that's kind of part of traveling with dad. Yeah. And to me, I don't draw a real strict line between my life in the office and my life at home and my life traveling. Like the more blurred those bounds are, the better for me. Like I see this as one kind of big creative volume that everything fits into and the camera. One of the great things about starting the YouTube channel is it like actually forced me to learn about photography and yes. cinematography, and and like that feels like an extension of my hand now, and the way that I see the world. And I, I couldn't believe that there was so much to it that I had been missing for all of my life. Right. You know, up until 2013, it was just incredibly eye-opening and, um, liberating. And, and I think it, it only makes practice better and more interesting for me. And if it can, um, you know, enhances travel and all all these different aspects of life. So yeah, it's, it's been an incredible gift, I think. Um, and more so than any sort of monetary, um, you know, reward that may come as a result of having done the YouTube channel.
0: Okay. So there's so many different ways we could go with this, but I, I kind of (laughs) feel like you the, what you were just talking about where you're talking about Instead of work-life balance or work-life separation or boundaries, you're talking about integration. And I, I feel very similarly to that. And it's what's interesting is you've got all these parallel things going on, and then you're looking for ways to connect those, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like, to me, that is—so So I just recorded another podcast with, with another guest, and it was very much like well, part of the conversation was like, I'm trying to live five lives at the same time. Right? Because we get one, but how much can I fit into it? And I kind of feel like this is part of that, right? This is where it's like, okay, when I travel, I also want to be doing these other four things at the same time because I, I'm only going to go there once. I'm not going to keep going back to that place. Um, that's not the how I see the world. Like I always want to go somewhere new. What's next? And so I want to get as much out of that as I can. And so documenting it, capturing it, being with the family, being out on my feet, getting out there, and, and like like that's what I love about your videos too. Is like you get out of the studio, you take us on the site visit with you. We get another point of view by when you're shooting with a drone, right? Uh, you you get sure. all of these different angles and different insights, and then the way that you kind of edit that all together starts to tell one possible story out of all of that different experience that you got to have. You got to have all those different experiences and then you get to present a piece of that back to us and and our lives are richer because of that. And that's what I kind of hope to me like one of the more ultimate hopes of sharing what you do through a place like YouTube is like you've got like over 600,000 people watching your stuff, right? And not every single video, but but overall that's a lot, right? And who saw that coming? Nobody really understood the magnitude that one solo practitioner from Maine (laughs) could have in that level of influence, which I think is one of the most important things out there going for people. Um, That's incredible. That's just an absolutely incredible thing.
1: Yeah, well, and with that comes a lot of responsibility, too and it's, it's a difficult thing as you, as your audience grows and you know, this through the podcast, you know, the, the more critical voices mass behind you and everyone says, uh, well, who nominated you to speak for all of us architects, you know, like, and it's not really about that at all. Mm Um, I sort of had, um, I'm sort of tired of this kind of complainer attitude that I feel like, uh, you know, comes from a lot of architects. And I feel like it's easy to complain. It's much more difficult to do the work and dig in and, you know, make the, make the video edit, you know, like, for me, video editing is the most rewarding part of the entire process, and it's also the most difficult because yes. that's the part where the story comes together. So I don't know how you edit, but you know, when I capture a bunch of footage, let's say I have A-roll footage, which would be talking head as we're talking here, and then the B-roll footage is the sort of footage that interlaces and is overlaid on top of that, which – helps to show the story rather than you just telling or narrating the story Mm -hmm. you know crafting the where you put those cuts and the pacing as you said and how you you know do the sound design and how the music complements that or fights against it you know all of that stuff happens in the edit and that's the thing that changes the story arc um so i don't know how about you but like editing is is the most time consuming but it's also the most rewarding because something comes out of that that you never really could have predicted. It's the sort of sum total of all those things. It's just much greater than the parts. Absolutely. Um, so it, people, I think, just don't have a, g- a great sense for for what it actually takes to, <laughs> to create those videos. And so it's, I think, the the big complaining sort of mass there um, that says, "Well, you know, you could have done it differently, or why'd you make that decision?" Is just, uh, it's, I don't know how you deal with the criticism on it, but I, <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm getting better at it. But. I
0: saw a really great comment um, by somebody who was like the creator and and somebody was complaining about the something in the video or the the, the audio i can't re- even remember what it was but I, it was a video because the reply to the comment was i'm sorry i made you watch this right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's youtube man click on <laughs> yeah
1: yeah totally I mean that becomes easier I guess the the further you get into it but it's yeah that that sort of voice of criticism is still yeah still true. Yeah
0: there's a great quote uh, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt if you look it up I I won't recite it all right now and but it's a it's a great quote it's called The Man in the Arena and and it's oh, just I got it. it's I got it, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So it's right it,
1: on my notion it's right here. <laughs> it's that's awesome.
0: Yeah. I I've got my notion here too and it is in my notion as well. I I do collect quotes in there. <laughs> For sure. Oh, awesome! Good stuff. (laughs) So yeah, the man in the arena. Look it up. I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I better write that down right now, otherwise I will forget. But it was. It's so. It's. It's a rewarding quote to reread all the time, and to remind you of why it's important to do the work, right? To actually be the one doing the work, not just critiquing the work. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk out there about the critic doesn't count. Um, I've heard on other podcasts people talking about that and 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 it is important to be the one who does the work and to put your work out there and to be vulnerable. I think that that's kind of like the role of a designer in so many levels. People say it's the fun job, it's the easy job. It's like, "Oh yeah, you're just having fun, you're doing that you you know, you get to pick the colors, you get to pick." And it's like, "No, like you also have to put your stuff up on the wall and have people rip it yeah. off, right?" rip it off the wall like that's like and they tear it down and and you get better and stronger and you learn through that process and i feel like the only way to actually learn through that process is to do it and like you said you've got those old crappy videos still on the youtube channel if you go back far enough if you scroll down far enough and that's a great reminder of everything you've learned to get to where you are
1: there's also this idea of separating yourself from the art and i've i've really tried to kind of come Uh, make peace with this idea that what I make is a piece of work that sits out there in the world Mm -hmm. and it is its own thing that is not connected to me. It doesn't say anything about who I am necessarily. It is a sort of snapshot, a point in time, and it's an object that is subject to critique and praise and all the other things that putting a work out, you know, architecture is no, is no different, but that has no sort of reflection on me necessarily. And that I can yeah. keep marching on. That is something that I dropped off over here and I'm moving over here. And so that's kind of how I've been making peace with it lately. Um, but yeah, it's always kind of hovering there in the back, in the back of your mind. And you know, there's that, um, you know, the resistance of like, you yes. know, I want to put this out there, but man, you know, I know some people are going to hate it and you're, and like you said, you know, you're exposing yourself to that, but man, there's, I I tell you, as as you get more followers, I feel like sometimes that resistance pokes its head up in a, in a really insidious way that keeps you from making things, you know, you want to kind of stay safe and like, well, if I put this out there and I get a ton of hate because I got a ton of followers, that doesn't feel very good at all. Um, and so that sometimes that resistance can kind of creep up just as that audience kind of creeps up. So that's that's been kind of an unexpected challenge for me, too.
0: Take us back before YouTube. Where did you—you re- you really started, and I think the first time we ever talked was about— because I was going to write a book, and you had already written a couple books. Is that where it started for you, with this kind of entrepreneurial stuff, side gigs on top of the architecture?
1: Yeah, about that time, it was—you um, know, I was— starting a firm here, I work in a pretty remote part of the country. So, you know, there's a good part of the year where clients just aren't visiting or inquiring. Mm -hmm. And I was starting a new firm. I was, you know, I had experience. But when you compare my experience to all the people in my neighborhood, their experience, if you want to build a $2 million house, where are you going to go spend your $2 million? Probably with someone who's about 10 or 15 years older than I am. So really, it was born out of need, this kind of entrepreneurial guesswork. Um, And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try a whole bunch of different things, writing blog posts. You know, I started writing for house, um, -hmm. and whole, you know, I started making videos, started kind of making products. I actually was selling some sort of rudimentary products early on and just trying a whole bunch of different things. And one of the things that I stumbled upon was sort of writing for house. Now I, I don't like house at all. (laughs) I have a real (laughs) aversion to house, um, especially now, but It helped me become a better writer. So I teamed up with this sort of editor at House, and they paid me a per article fee of something like $75. It was something ridiculously stupid. And I set out to write the best possible article I could at the time. Mm -hmm. And working with this editor, he helped make me a better writer. And I started writing this series just to kind of scratch my own itch. So I was trying to figure out how to start a firm and all the things I needed to start a firm. And so I just ended up writing this series on House, and they ended up publishing it to their Pretty big list. I think they had a list of email list of like 16 million people. Um, and those posts turned into my first book. Okay. And I all I did was it was this idea of like documenting everything while you're creating it. Yeah. As I learned these lessons, now I'm just going to write it all down, and that eventually formed my first book, um, Architect and Entrepreneur. And then, while I was writing that, I was exper- doing other experiments. I started making plan sets and trying to figure out ways that I could split the business in two so that I could have kind of a product side to the business and then a services side, because I realized as a one man show, when I started this practice, you know, I was taking on five, six projects at a time. Like when you have five projects at a time, you have no time to do anything else. You know, you have five clients, five contractors and budgets and all those things kind of like this giant weight. And I think a lot of sole practitioners feel that way when they first start out. And so I realized like, well, there's no way I can work with five different clients, I have to find a different system. You know, I still want to work with clients because I still like making architecture, but I have to find a different way to do it. And so that was really the birth of this kind of like, okay, what other entrepreneurial pursuits can I combine with this practice to make it a sort of total creative life? You know, mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to work with five clients at a time. It was way too stressful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I also wanted to find a way to kind of you know, when you're trading time for dollars, it doesn't scale, right? right? Right. So I wanted to find a way to make something once and then sell it multiple times. And, you know, I think I've found a pretty good balance of, at this point now, working with like one or two clients at a time. Mm -hmm. And then the other sort of product side of the business is built on, you know, the interactions and the products that that sort of design process spins off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working with a client, and I'm sure you have this in your uh, professional work is that there's all this new information that you have to research you know there's not only building codes but building science and there's all this technology like right. all of this stuff that hovers around the orbit of just the practice of architecture well that like can spin off all this information and yes. to me that that is the the sort of heart of entrepreneurship is is really taking sources And turning them into resources. Mm. So, the source in my business is really the kind of client service side, which is very small. It's kind of this real like crucible. And then the resource side is everything that spins off of that. And, you know, predominantly right now, that's the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, And the YouTube channel is this big engine, it's this big net that captures a whole bunch of people. And then I can say, oh, okay, you're interested in this. Well, I have a resource for you here. And maybe that's, you know, showing you what products I'm using to make videos. Um, or if you're interested in designing your home uh, and don't, can't afford an architect, here's a plan set, you know, so all of these resources sort of sustain that kind of life. And then, you know, everything else that I decide to kind of plug into that, because like you, I have a whole series of passing interests and uh, hobbies and I want all of that to be part of my creative life. I don't want to just be like fighting with a contractor and a client all the time about a budget. Like not interesting to me. Right. I want to find the one client who is willing to participate in this process in a way that budgets are kind of secondary to things, you know, and that's a special kind of client that doesn't come along every day. Right. Um, so all of these other things support that kind of lifestyle yeah so i probably didn't answer your question in there (laughs) i don't i don't even remember
0: what it was but the the answer was awesome because i i feel like now it's leading to me to talk about like so you because of your ability to pick and choose clients now because you do have this other income stream or streams keeping things normal normalizing that at least so something you can you can count on more than clients knocking on your door because you now you can pick and choose, you're picking and choosing what I would assume are the better projects, which lead to better projects, right? And so it does become this, because you're not saying yes to everybody, you're not trying to be everything to everybody and 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 basically diversify the life out of your creative thinking, you can focus and that leads to other better, I would think, projects.
1: It totally does. And a good example is this, So I'm working with these clients now. We're doing this off-the-grid house out on this island, and they've been generous enough to let me film the whole process, and, you know, it's been going on a long time. Um, And, you know, if this were any normal project, I wouldn't be able to sustain myself on an extended Time yeah, period like that, right. but because there's all this content that's spinning off of that, and because you know they're willing to share this process so openly, it says to other clients who want to do a similar thing, like, oh wow, this is actually, this actually looks fun.
0: Yes, like this right. isn't
1: the adversarial process that I've heard about before. Right, this can be engaging and democratic and enjoyable
0: and inclusive. And, yeah, you
1: know, and yeah, and and that is just it sends signals to all the other people who are like these clients who are wonderful clients that, Oh, cool. Well, maybe let's just work with him. Um, yes. And you know, this is the idea that like, this is a huge deep blue ocean for people to explore. I'm not the only residential architect out there, nor should I be on YouTube. You know, I want other a ton of other voices because I'm not suited to work with everybody. I don't have the time to work with everybody. Right. So I hope that more, I hope it's inspiration at least to other architects that like this is totally possible and it's actually a really great way of triaging clients because by the time i mean i don't have meetings anymore where people come to the office and say so uh you know show me your portfolio prove to me you can do this job like you don't need to you should i mean they want to get on the wait list and so that's what people are trying to do so uh with their with their practices i feel like you know rather than really having this heavy marketing focus like if you can make this content while you're working with people and exposing your design process just sort of laying it bare you know, much like you're sharing all these thoughts and ideas on the podcast, like people love that. Yeah. Like they nobody's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> they just love they'll eat it up. And um, it's it's a pretty uh, great way of finding clients without you know, just by sort of capitalizing on the byproducts of what you're already doing. Like I'm already designing a set of elevations. If I just put a camera above my desk and film the process and just kind of talk through casually it. talk about yeah. how I'm doing, it, like people love that. Yes. Um, and not only clients but also People who are interested in architecture. There's a ton of people who are architecture junkies and nerds that yeah. will probably never work with an architect. Um, right. And so I've made a lot of really great connections this way, too. So people that will never be clients.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how you've kind of master planned this opportunity machine here. And to me, like that's what really sets it apart or makes it interesting is that you've created just by documenting, right? Like Gary Vaynerchuk says, like, document it. Just document it and put it out there, right? Document everything. Yep. And um, I feel like by doing that, especially with architecture, which is very much like um, a here and there, like we go there, we present it, we talk about it, but then we take it back here and we do the work. And then we go back and we show just the pretty pictures, right? Not the process. And so by doing what you're doing, by exposing the process, it becomes a lot more inclusive and people feel like they're much more part of the story which gets you from here to there, right? And, and that is what they will talk about. They will talk about that inclusivity, how involved they were in every decision along the way, and they got to see you because you show your work, just like grade school, show your work yeah. on math, right? Show your work. Teacher's always telling you to show your work, but then architecture very much becomes a I'm going to do this in the secret lab in the black box and then I'm just going to show you the pretty pictures at the end. And and to me I think what makes reality shows, what makes podcasts, what makes YouTube channels so interesting is people are looking under the hood at how all of this actually gets made, gets produced, and they like that. Whether it's what they do or not, right? Usually it's it's what they don't do because it's removing them from what they do do every day. Um, and it's a little bit of an escape but it's so interesting to them and that's what they want to see and so like you've capitalized on that you kind of came up with a master plan that also allows you to still be creative during that whole time and and spin resources out of these sources that's super cool so this this is the master class right here this is awesome <laughs> but
1: it wasn't a master plan that's the thing I mean I think I've arrived there and it's easy to look with hindsight and yes. say yeah totally. oh yeah this feels like perfectly crafted and i look forward to, you know, five years from now, looking back on the decisions I'm making today and to see, you know, where it's headed because there's, there's some luck I,
0: there for sure.
1: There's some luck. Yeah. And a timing and yeah, yeah, I mean, but also craft and you have to, I think, care about making things. And I mean, it, you're like this, right? Your audio is on point, like your, your graphics and your visuals, like it's all comes together. It's all yeah. sort of contribute to this space. And to me, that is That's the thing that makes it enjoyable to get all that stuff right. And um, there's always a way to make it better. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it was Steve Jobs. Let's throw another quote out there. I think he's the one who said, you know, hindsight, you know, it's easy to connect the dots looking backwards, but it's practically impossible to do that looking forward. So you just have to put stuff out there that is of the quality, the nature that that you are willing to, like, dedicate the time to do to make it the best that you can in the amount of time that you have to do it, right? You can't, you can't just totally. keep tweaking it forever. Cause I the editing process back to that. Like you could just edit forever, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, you could. And I spend too much time to, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a flaw of mine. Um, that's hard to, yeah, it's hard to get beyond that. Um,
0: perfectionism is tough. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, not being able to see where you're going is exciting. And, um, that's part of the interest. Like I also couldn't have predicted all the opportunities that have come because of this. And I think that's part of this, you know, throwing things out there and taking some risks, you know, you're starting this podcast. You don't like, this is a chance for you to talk to people you probably wouldn't normally get to talk to. Right. And who knows what comes of that. And to me, that's really, really exciting. Like I've been talking to companies now that I never thought I'd have the chance to talk with, you know, and we're talking about designing and doing things that I thought, my, wow, like I really didn't see this on the radar, but it's super exciting to me. Um, and so, yeah, having that ability to say no, it just allows all the other opportunities to blossom and all those other seeds you've been planting for these years to kind of take root. And then you get to pick and choose which ones you want to nurture and ultimately harvest and which ones you want to just say, not for me. Right. No.
0: Yeah. Not a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think getting older forces you into that sort of zone anyway, right? You know, it's like you start realizing it's like, okay, well, there's only a few more projects I got here, so I got to pick and I got to be wise about what I'm investing my time in. And so, yeah, that that's liberating, too.
0: So you you just said you said investing. And I think like that's what I think back to when you I, I believe that the title of your movie that you hired out to have production help with was The Choice We Make. Is that what it was called?
1: A choice to make a yeah. choice
0: to make okay
1: it's kind of a double meaning
0: right and and so but you decided to invest and you would you not only invested in like help but you invested in you and to me that's one of the biggest that that's kind of what we're talking about here right we're talking about making an investment in yourself and the opportunities that come from that are unknown um, you can't you, there's no way to know what they are like we said we, it's easy to connect the dots looking backwards even if it's not a straight path, right? But looking forward, well, the possibilities are endless, right? But the investment is key. Why did you decide at that point to invest in you and invest in you know having help to to tell that story?
1: You know, I, I think I saw the YouTube channel was. I mean, with every creative effort, you realize what your limitations are, mm-hmm. and I realized that it felt like I started was starting to make a lot of the same things. And that i wasn't learning anymore and you know i actually took that as the building of the studio here um, as an opportunity to put a sort of capstone on this as an effort uh, the, the studio it's a small studio uh, but it's the hub and the stage set for the youtube channel right. um and i really felt like when i completed this i wanted to start a new chapter in the youtube channel because I had seen the possibilities, uh, you know, people were interested, people were paying more attention than they ever had been before. Um, but also this was a, you know, I, it was proof of concept that the business that I had created in 2013 was actually turning into something that could, this business model where there's sort of products and services, that was a self-sustaining model and there was something real to it. But I was feeling like the quality of information and content I was producing was just wasn't up to my standards. Mm. Um, you know, that old Ira Glass quote he, yes. or video that he did where he talks about, you know, your tastes far exceed your abilities when right. you're just getting started. Right. And so I knew that I could do better. So when I finished the studio, um, I hired my photographer to photograph it. And at the same time, I said, I'm really interested in kind of turning the story of making the studio and making the business into something more than just a photo shoot, like a half day photo shoot. And so he was interested in also building up his sort of videography business. And so we sort of collaborated together and said, look, I'll give you a kind of a discount on the the videography portion of this but let's make it into something longer form. And I had seen that there was this architecture and design film festival. And I thought it'd be cool if we made something and submitted it to that. It became this kind of collaborative. (laughs) Then you have a deadline too. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It forces you to get it done and do it. right? Right. So, so that was the decision point. And it was not. It was a pretty significant amount of money for me to invest in creating a video. A photo shoot is one thing. I'm sort of buying into the idea that you have to have professional photos and they bring with them all their connections to publications and things. But I thought, well, a video shoot, like that's up there. So I said, okay, I'm going to invest in learning from him because I admired his style and I loved his color grading and just how he edited things, loved all of it. Um, and I thought, what better person to learn from, you know, nobody else around me is, is teaching this. So I'm going to invest in that. And what we did was I thought, you know, I've done enough YouTube videos. I can script this thing, no problem. And so we kind of came up with a real basic outline script. And two days before the shoot, he actually opened the script and read it. And he's like, this isn't a script, man. We got to hire somebody else to help us write this thing. So he brought in a story editor that he was, you know, used to working with. And he said, this isn't cheap but i really think you need a story here and so that process in itself while i didn't fully plan it out it ended up being hugely beneficial to me and really you know as a sole practitioner i'm used to getting everything done like i'm yes. making the coffee i'm answering the phones i'm doing it all myself right you're an and, architect you know it's yeah it's <laughs> right sure yeah and at this moment you you realize at some point like there are people better suited to, you know, teach me about this or help me with mm. this. And, you know, I'm still learning that lesson today. And that, that that's something, you know, that's something that I'm working on for sure. But that point uh, was really where I realized when she started working with me, and and I realized how bad the script that I came up with was, I thought, "Wow, this is a, this could represent a pretty huge shift." So you know, like everything else, I just kind of took notes, made some SOPs based on our interactions there, and we had a bunch of sort of phone calls and edits and rewrites. And you know, I think the story that came out of that, while it wasn't perfect, I think that video has performed long term as well as it has. Because it has a story. And I think that really, in me, seeded this idea that, you know, people, rather than just being a professorial sort of lecture, which is what my earlier videos were, people relate to story. You know, they care about, you know, how someone moves through life and the ups and downs and and the turning points. And, you know, that is... That's a very real part of my own story. And I think for a lot of architects, they watch that video and say, like, wow, I was in school and I was really excited about all this making things and producing things. And then when I get out of school, wow, there's like such a big disconnect. People really relate to that. You know, it's not what you expect necessarily. Um, And I think, you know, hopefully the double meaning in the title, a choice to make things, you know, the real shift that I had was to making things, making content, you know, making objects, making beautiful things was a choice that we all have. And yeah, I like to think that message kind of resonates and comes through in that video. And I think that's probably why it's so popular. Um, but I do feel like it's an obvious turning point and a great example of investing in
0: yourself. That's a great story. I mean, it's a great kind of behind the scenes story of the, the actual story. It's really... I think that that yeah. has the potential to have huge impact on people, right? Because it takes a different perspective to just realize that that option is available to so many people. And I think a lot of times on this show, we talk about software, we talk about technology. Like those are things too. Those are things people choose to make and they choose to go into that line of work. Um, and so like, like a lot of things you're making are digital you know, they're like the digital version of the magazine articles that people flip through. And, you know, maybe they've got it on in the background. Maybe they're paying really close attention to the color grading and the cutting of the edit and all that kind of stuff. You never know who's watching it and why they're watching it and what they're going to get out of it. But it's fantastic that you're putting it out there. I, I I, think, you know, as a thank you to you, like it's been inspirational to watch. And when we met in New York and, and we st- first started talking about this, like you were all, you were you were doing this, and you had your backpack full of gear with you, and I was like, <laughs> "You you said you should start making YouTube videos, right?" Because yeah, at that man. point, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> we had just started doing. We had been doing podcasting for a long time, and it's like right. I'm always kind of looking for what's next. But your words right there really kind of kicked that off. So. Thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you continue to make. It's super cool.
1: Oh, no, it's, I mean, you know, it's funny to sort of cap that story about making that short film. Mm -hmm. And then I submitted it to the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York. And, you know, it was screened there. And I went with my whole family and the photographer and videographer. And I was super proud of that. And I was sitting in the audience and they screened two other films with this, you know, And, and like, I felt great about the effort. And then I watched the second film and I was like, Oh! Oh wow!
0: Another level. <laughs> this
1: is so much better. And then I watched the third one. I was like, "Oh!" I <laughs> just kind of sinking in my seat. So I think there's, you know, it's a, it was a great lesson for me. To, it's humbling. I mean, you're never as good or as bad as they say you are. Is that kind of mm. expression? Um, and I think, you know, that's really how I see this. It's a continuum of work. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure you see this, uh, for you in that like, seeking tools out and software and technology. And all of these things, um, for me, it's a way to enhance and make the work better. And and I'd just rather have a studio filled with all these different tools that I can kind of walk over to the shelf and pick this tool off today and pick that one off tomorrow. And whether they're analog or digital or a physical product or a digital product, like it's all interesting to me. And as you said, it's all a design problem. And to have all these design problems to solve, like that's I don't know about you, but that's like why I went to architecture
0: school. Absolutely.
1: I love the challenge of that and right. being able to make something beautiful out of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, what what are you interested in right now? What what's the thing? Is there anything in particular?
1: So, right now, I've been just I've been heavy into making courses. So, I've just finished a couple of courses. I'm making some physical products for the first time. So, I made a sketchbook teamed up with a a guy out of New York City um so we started making a sketchbook mostly born out of the need you know I used to buy Muji sketchbooks yeah. like this one particular Muji sketchbook and they stopped making them so I was like well I'm just going to make one and I'm going to do a better version of it so he and I teamed up together to make that and then I've started making some other little products that sort of supplement that and you know certainly not as refined as something like a field notes but i find that works like totally inspirational so i've been working on that side of the business you know i have some architecture projects that are cooking now um and just more videos um you know i think the quarantine has been um yeah, it's been interesting because it's it's also coincided with an uptick in a lot of sort of client work. Mm. So I've made fewer videos than I would have hoped, but yeah, that's that's kind of what's cooking right now.
0: Yeah, you know, I've got the little bell checked next to your on my subscription <laughs> for you and I Where are the videos? Like, I'm not seeing anything come through. (laughs) I know, man. I'm
1: trying. I got one coming this week, but man, it's hard. It is hard. It's very, and I've been, you know, I got in this streak where I was like, well, if I'm going to release a video a month, it probably ought to be a substantial meaty video. So it's Mm -hmm. like 20 plus minute videos. And those are long. Obviously, they take a while to make. Um, But then I've also just been exploring some tech, like I just got an iPad, like, okay, I'm way behind the times on this, I realized, but like, I had no idea how great sketching in Procreate was. And so like, that's another tool that I get to play with and make videos about. And I don't know. I mean, I, if, if YouTube ever starts to feel like a job to me, I stop publishing videos. So when you see a lower frequency there, it started to feel like a job. And I think, you know, as the channel has grown, there's been more interest from, brands in sponsoring the channel. And I don't know where it'd be great to kind of (laughs) ask you about this because I feel like such a novice here, but you know, as the bigger brands start to reach out and say, Hey, we want a presence on YouTube. You know, that starts consuming a whole bunch of time. And I think, wow, that sounds a lot like a job. That sounds a lot like somebody Uh, wanting a certain deliverable at a certain deadline and wanting me to say certain thing. And I spent all this time kind of building up this thing, which I finally feel really proud of. And now someone wants to go, I'll take a piece of that, you know? So what's been your, I mean, not to sort of sidetrack and you can certainly edit this out if you want, but what's been your approach with that?
0: It is work. I mean, and that, and that to me is you kind of hit it right on the head. You, you, you do this thing. It's a labor of love. It's fun. It's a hobby. It's, and now like, like you said, somebody's like, Oh, like you've done all that work. I want to capitalize on that. And, and it becomes a lot of overhead, like just mental overhead to keep track of all that, to set up all of the th- behind-the-scenes stuff to track it and to get them what they need and to provide the information that they want. It does become something that that all of a sudden turns it into work. And I think as soon as something turns into work, you have to decide, is it what you want to do or not? Like you said, Do like I want if, that job? Right. <laughs> do I want that job? Um, and, and then who and who do I have to please now? Because before I was trying to like you have an idea of who do you, who your audience is and you have an idea of what you want to make for that audience and that audience gets to choose they can opt in or they can opt out and as soon as you add another gear to that machine that has leverage that's where things get get difficult i think and and so yeah i don't i don't necessarily have an answer but i will say that it doesn't make things easier i don't i definitely don't think it makes things easier because now, what are you yeah. going to do? Like, you going to hire somebody to do that thing for you to manage that? Are you going to hire somebody to make something else for you? Yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff to think about.
1: Yeah, it takes. It definitely takes. It feels like it saps some of the creative energy out of it. And you know, what's so funny to me is that um, th- these big brands they're still in a print model, advertising totally. model. And you must face this with podcasting, yes, right? It's like. Yeah. They want to spit. They're like, well, you, you know, it's just a YouTube video. It's like, well, yeah, it's just a YouTube video that get, gets 1.4 million views. Like, right. you know, I'm talking to a pretty big brand right now, and like, we're looking at some of the videos that are around this content that they want to make. And I'm like, so the last time you advertised in a print magazine and you paid $20,000 for that quarter page ad right. to run for three months because you can't pay any less, how many people looked at that ad? Can you show me the metrics on that? Right, right. You know, but meanwhile, they want to say, like, well, we want to see your conversions and like right. audience and like all uptake and all this stuff. It's like, well, show me that for the magazine, man. <laughs> like how, how do you know your money's being spent and viewed on ma- the magazine sitting in a restroom somewhere if somebody even opened to that page? So it's like, yeah, it's really interesting to me. And it just actually makes me want to hold out even longer. Yeah just wait until subscribers are like, you know, a million and then we can have a different conversation. But
0: okay, we'll, we'll finish up here. And I love to ask everybody who comes on the show and, and maybe, uh, you know, like the conversation has been amazing. So thank you so much. I I think we'd love to continue it sometime for sure.
1: Yeah. Anytime.
0: I would love it. If you could share something that you do personally, like what I would consider like a personal hack, is there something that you do to help yourself perform better whether that's tech or analog, digital, physical, I don't know. It could be anything, just pick something and like, what do you do? What, what gets Eric, uh, motivated and, and to, to push harder than, than normal?
1: Yeah, my, um, so one of my favorite um, directors, Werner Herzog, mm-hmm. I took one of his master classes not long ago, and he has this thing which I've kind of borrowed. Um, so before he sits down to, he does all of his scripting and screenplays, so he does it all himself. Um, and before he starts writing, he basically sort of primes with all of this sort of high quality source material. So he'll read like the poetic Edda, he'll listen to Beethoven. You know, he's he's consuming. The highest caliber material, kind of filling his mind with nothing but the best. And then he's sitting down and he's sort of doing focused work. And so that is really sort of building on that short film that I made. This idea of sort of hacking your life and creating a system that um, is this framework for producing your best work. Mm. For me, that this kind of hack is like I'm always prioritizing the making. In the morning Mm -hmm. so i've always split my day into two halves um and the making actually the further i've gone along like the making part just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's less managing and the managing would be things like meetings phone calls you know those things that sort of take a lower state of energy to complete um that stuff gets pushed later and later in the afternoon Uh um And the making consumes more and more of the day. And, you know, the sort of priming before the making is all of this filling your mind with interesting information, reading things, you know, listening to really great music, like looking through Peter Zumthor books uh, or looking at, you know, photos from Betcher, or where, you know, listening to, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> what else there would be. I mean, tons of stuff. So Dieter Roms, like, I, just all, filling your mind with the sort of best quality material and then sitting down to do the work so that you know the standard that you should be performing to. And I'm not pretending to be a Peter Zumthor by any means, but you know, I feel like just presenting that as a possibility and seeding the mind with that mm. is the thing that makes you do better and strive to do better um, and just making sure that the making part is prioritized is the thing that will allow me to continue to make more and more and more content. And that's the only thing really that makes me better. It makes me a better designer, better architect, better husband, father, all these other things. Mm. Um, and splitting that making and managing, you know, with exercise in the middle is another kind of key component. So yeah. like that, that's the real discipline of that sort of daily structure, like that's key for me. Mm-hmm for being productive. And I know um you know at the end of the day if I leave the studio without having made something it just doesn't feel quite right. And yeah. the making can be very simple. You know, it could be just redesign like my son's working with me in the studio this summer. So the other day we went ahead and designed all these sort of neat little graphic mailing packages for this little product that I'm making now. So we just went ahead and designed we designed mailing labels. We did like six different designs. We ordered a whole bunch of different envelopes that we're going to use. We designed some stickers and some vinyl decals, like all this stuff. And, um, at the end of the day, you just feel like, okay, I didn't design a house, but I got to do these like four distinct design sort of exercises and, and projects and documented it. I took photographs, I edited the photographs, like all of it together just feels like, I don't know, I get this kind of buzzing
0: in in here
1: when I leave and, and then I know like perfect day.
0: So do you, do you subscribe to the idea that, um, do you ever leave something intentionally unfinished, but knowing what the next steps are so that the next day you can jump back into and get into the flow faster?
1: Yeah, that's the, the that's like the Ernest Hemingway thing, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. So he, where he'd stop in mid sentence, right? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I don't know if I consciously do that, um, I think I always have to kind of find a stopping point. But, you know, with video editing, it's often spanning multiple days. Yes. Um, I do ascribe to the idea of, you know, taking some space and then coming back and looking at something. So whether that's in a similar vein or not I don't know but that is really that's definitely a part of the creative process I don't know if that was Arthur Kestler um, who was talking about in the 20s you know he's talking about the whole process of design incubation is one of the sort of key phases of the design process and you yeah. have to let these ideas incubate and percolate and oh man you know I think yeah. even stepping outside of the studio to get exercise you know listening to podcasts and consuming information that's outside of the sphere of architecture that's a key component to all of this you know yeah. that idea that idea of biassociation, where you have two separate ideas that kind of collide right yep. they're existing on separate planes and they collide and and the thing that you get is the the sort of hybrid of those those two the liger of the two you know <laughs> um, and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's really interesting to me And so anytime and i think maybe that's how i have built this whole whole studio is that you know i'm creating opportunities for those collisions to take place and um it's up to me to kind of notice them
0: that's really cool i i so the the next question and for those of who are listening who don't know eric very well eric is a metalhead like to the core (laughs) right so i'm going to ask you who are you listening to Mm -hmm. and reading now but you also you have to give a a metal recommendation in here just a little footnote
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, the metal, I'll consume almost any metal there is. So some of my metal, my taste in metal are, um, yeah, people would kind of laugh at. So, you know, my son and I, we are, we're always going to Five Finger Death Punch concerts. So that's kind of, you know, that's one extreme. But I really like, right now I'm really into In Flames, which is a uh, Swedish band. It's the genre, if you had to classify it, would be melodic death metal. Um, and so, like that's kind of that's kind of the common thread in metal for me. There has to be some sort of mm, symphonic melodic quality to it, but super heavy, all super heavy stuff. So, In Flames I can't recommend them, them enough. Um, on the sort of lighter side, the sort of priming side um, yeah. would be like someone like Nils Fromm. Love his stuff. You know, it's kind of like a fusion of classical piano and synth, and it's um, he has this kind of really percussive introduction in there so he's like oftentimes hitting strings with mallets and things so uh, but for me that's uh, that's a really great working piece of music so if I'm really trying to focus on something I'll put that on on repeat Mm -hmm. and I'll listen to it like Tim Ferriss style like for eight hours uh, and just be completely fine with that Um, and then in terms of you know I listen to some prog metal so Coheed and Cambria is pretty Mm -hmm. that's pretty digestible and uh, actually really love those guys and that has kind of a a storytelling aspect to it as well. So yeah, that's my that's, those are my musical recommendations right now. In flames, like just unbelievable. It's totally underrated. They've been around forever and they're still touring. Well I hope they still tour. Um right. <laughs> I was supposed to see them two weeks ago but didn't happen. Uh, yeah. So anyway.
0: So outside of the music realm, so what what are you listening to? What are you reading? What what's inspiring Eric right now?
1: Yeah. So reading consuming a lot of Derek Sivers. Do you know Derek yes, Sivers? Well? Yes.
0: Yeah, I just emailed yeah. him recently, and of course he replied. So that was great. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So
1: he's got a he's got a new book out, which I'm reading. Uh, oh yeah, it's your I music I downloaded
0: that. Yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah. So your music and people, and actually, what I like about his writing style, um, and actually, his previous podcast season was like this. It's very like sucinct so he strives, yeah. yeah, he strives to make it as um edited as possible um, and his website the design same way so i've I've actually just chewed through his whole entire season of podcasts because yep. this new season was all long form long stuff form, yeah. um so yeah, and I think you know operating remotely like you have to, you really do have to seek out outside influences, and yep. I consider listening to podcasts and reading books and things like that really to be sort of the five people that I'm surrounding myself with. So I have a lot of his operating system baked in right now. Um, I've been reading this book by Tom Hegan, who's a photographer, and it's like it's half reading and half visual. Yeah. Um, It's a beautiful book. Do you know know his work? He does these sort of aerial shots of these just uh, impossible landscapes is probably how I would describe it. Uh, it's not where he started, but it's where he's going now. So like salt mines taken from the air and these aren't just drone shots, which are like 400 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, a thousand feet in the air. So the perspective is actually, it's much different and it's really brightly colored images. And then what he's taken in his book is sort of describes the process of taking the photos and his creative process. And then he does these kind of line drawing overlays of them like there, it's just beautiful. It's like this perfect intersection for me, um, of photography, videography and line work. And so that's a beautiful book. And then I'm really into the fire movement. I don't know if you are consuming any of this information right now. So it's, uh, it's an acronym stands for financially independent, retire early. Um, and it's a whole bunch of people kind of sort of gaming the financial independence system. Um, and so there's just a, that's a deep rabbit hole you can go into. And for me, it's kind of thinking about how the business grows beyond me Mm -hmm. and starts to spin off an entirely new creative life for me. And so that's been consuming a lot of my podcast time and also reading time. So there's a, you know, their book in there that I've been reading, uh, simple path to wealth and things like that. Um, but so it's, I'd really try and, um, balance what I'm taking in. So it's not all one thing, it's it's really sampled from a lot of different places, um, and yeah, in terms of film, The Mandalorian. That to me, I do really do. I don't know if you ever caught any of the behind the scenes on The Mandalorian, or I'm if you're even a Star that. Wars fan. Yeah, like the gallery and the in the space they created, yes. like the technology. That's oh yeah. my god, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. mind blowing. It yeah. is next it level. Is
0: So cool. I mean, yeah, I've always been a huge fan of ILM and this, you know, Industrial Light yeah. Magic and what the stuff that they're doing specifically with the mandalorian and that 360 degree led you know so they get automatic reflections and environments and lighting and and it's all done with real-time renderers so that you know they can match the camera moves it's just it's incredible stuff so yeah if anybody gets a chance to watch the behind the scenes it's it's great i mean it's so full of great information and tidbits and uh, so yeah i'm working my way through that right now and of course, Werner Herzog, he, he's in there, right? So you had to watch he's it. He's in it.
1: Yeah, it's a killer, yeah. And, and I just finished, um, you know, speaking of ILM, uh, Adam Savage's book. Have you ever have you seen that book, um, Every Tool's a Hammer? Every
0: Tool's a Hammer. Yeah, I, I've only seen it. I have not. I haven't read it.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's like, if you're a maker, and I know, I know you're a maker, um, you'd love that book because he just talks about that process. I mean, as a kid, I always thought, like that was one of my dream jobs was to be a model maker for, for star Wars to build all the greebles on the, and and he actually went and did it. And so it's a fascinating read and also a deep dive into how far you can take the creative process and and what you can do with it. like, it's just, yeah, that's cool. Really empowering book.
0: I have to share my story of uh, that. I, my email of Derek Sivers real quick, because there will never be another chance to do this. So back in 2006, when I was actively in a band, you know, of course CD Baby was like the only way to get your disc outside of the local record stores and Derek Sivers started CD Baby. And uh, back then you would send a box of, I don't know, five or ten CDs to CD Baby and they would scan one of them, right? They would actually just pull the jacket out and scan it and that became your ticket to getting your album on iTunes, which was then digital distribution, right? Right. They scanned ours crooked, and so I emailed Derek the other day because he, he emails and he says on his podcast, like I respond to everybody, and I've emailed him several times throughout the years, and he has always responded, so I just I just sent him that note. I'm like, hey, man, it's so funny. Because because I because when even though I I didn't like it at the time I love it now I love that every time my band's album shows up on Apple Music or Amazon Prime or Spotify or YouTube like anywhere you look up System Kid you will see this little white tr- acute triangle in the upper right hand corner because that's the scanner flatbed background right. <laughs> and i was like i was like i i really hated it at the time but i love it now (laughs) and he says i'm so sorry we scanned it crooked but i'm glad you're happy
1: (laughs) that's so great man it was so funny fantastic anyway (laughs) i didn't realize that your uh your band had uh you were releasing albums and everything that's that's incredible
0: yeah like uh yeah i I try to do a little bit of everything that's why i said i'm trying to live all the lives (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, are you still doing? Are you still playing or not? You
0: know the guitars. Like there's there's a guitar here in the corner. I know you can, maybe you can't see yeah. it. It's like a 1938 <laughs> it. Martin. It's super old. Um, so the, there's guitars hanging on the wall because then I can just easily pick them off and play them. Right? No, it doesn't happen. It, it, it's happened I'm, a few I'm looking times. At three right now. Yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the amp is like all dusty i'm like god how do how do i use this
0: <laughs> uh yeah it's it's frustrating but yeah like i i have bass guitars i've got regular guitars i've got electric guitars i've got and 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 actually quarantine times did get me to pick up the guitar quite a few times um so i was really happy about that i actually like wrote yeah. that down intentionally like what am i going to do during this time i'm going to pick up the guitar again and i started playing but it it's already tapered back off so
1: you know what's was incredible? I saw the other day, uh, Lamb of God did this sort of, you know, you see the classic Zoom. Yeah. Lamb of God's Zoom is like the four quadrants, and Randy Blythe is in his closet, like screaming his face off, and the, you know, the <laughs> drummers in his living room with uh, with this giant kit. I'm like, my God, to be their neighbors would be incredible.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. A
1: peace and quiet. <laughs> so they're
0: they're they're actually playing socially isolated together in the different quadrants. That's awesome. Yeah you got it yeah <laughs> so they're each cool. in their house
1: <laughs> randy's in his closet i just thought that was so great yeah. that is great incredible not your traditional zoom i bet your zooms don't look like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah life goals right there <laughs>
1: <laughs> just pick that mic up and scream into it sometime man you got to do it
0: <laughs> that would be awesome yeah I, I don't think it would surprise anybody yeah just kidding no <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, so uh, final question, man, and thank you so much for taking the time to hang out today. It's been awesome. Is just where can people find out more about you, uh, go along this journey with you? I think that's probably a more appropriate way to put it.
1: Yeah, um, I appreciate the time, man. It's been great chatting with you and really feel a lot of camaraderie here. I love what you're doing with the podcast, so thanks for having me on. Um, Everyone can find what I'm up to on 30by40.com. That's all spelled out, and if you go to 30by40.com slash YouTube, It'll take you right to my channel. So if you're interested in seeing some of the latest videos, I'm going to have one up soon. So Awesome. The dry spell will have ended. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time, man. This has been awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you. Talk to you soon. Right on. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for Troxel. Talk to you soon.